0: Welcome to a very special episode of the U.S. Naval History Podcast. This is a little bit outside of my typical wheelhouse, but today we're going to be doing a joint podcast with Because Language, and there is a ton of terminology that is entered or perhaps not entered the general lexicon that is nautical related, one of which is perhaps wheelhouse. And um, so that I don't leave you high and dry and go off like a loose cannon, I have brought with me Daniel and Hedvig, two members of the cast of Because Language, to discuss some of the nautical or not origins of phrases that we use in everyday life, and with it we'll get into a little bit of naval history, and so
1: without too much ado...
2: There's a cat, though.
1: Oh, is there a cat? Hello, cat! That is Cement. Now you have met Cement. Hello, hello. Cement is getting away. So, yeah. good, good luck to have a cat aboard a ship. Yeah! <laughs> yeah.
2: I can imagine... Keeping pests. Yeah,
0: keep the rats the
2: away. <laughs> yeah, she would love that. She keeps our balcony free from bugs.
1: Okay. <laughs> That's oh, nice. very good. Yeah. Yeah. Hello and welcome to Because Language, a show about linguistics, science of language. I'm Daniel Midgley, and with me now, someone who is well known as a bit of a loose cannon. It's Hedvig Hurgard. Uh,
2: am I well known <laughs> to be a loose cannon?
1: <laughs> well, no, not really. But I was looking through the list of idioms, and that one popped out. So I thought I would just get your reaction, spontaneous. Okay.
2: Mm. All right. No. Okay.
1: Yeah. Mm. No.
2: I think. I think. Ben is the loose cannon and he's unfortunately not here today.
1: He's not, he's feeling a bit under the weather. Mm. Mhm. Yep, he was uh, all week long. He was taking a pile of school children to a camp, which is just you know, I think he deserves a medal for bravery there, but he's he's not feeling too well, so he couldn't join us today, but he will be here, I'm sure, on a future episode. Yes. So here to help us out is a very special co-host. It's Chase Dalton of the U.S. Naval History Podcast. Hey, Chase. Thanks for joining us.
0: Hey, Daniel. Hey, Hedvig. How are you guys doing? Doing
1: good. I'm all right.
2: Can I ask a question on behalf of our listeners of Chase? Absolutely. Are you a historian, a military man, or both?
0: Um, I am a very poor historian and a former military man. Uh, Yes, I I went to the Naval Academy many years ago, and then I served in the Navy for six years. And during my time in the Navy, I uh, read a lot of naval history books and slowly started regaling some of the the sailors that that I worked with, with some naval history uh, factoids, and that developed into a passion, which I eventually, on my second deployment, started writing these down in a coherent fashion. And that became the first couple episodes of the U.S. Naval History Podcast, and um after I got out, it became a COVID project when I was locked away. Uh, nothing better to do, and produced the first couple. And turns out some people liked it.
1: There are a bunch, but I found that yours is uh, very entertaining and well researched. So,
0: <laughs> thank you. Yeah, it's it, it, it's not a, a deep dive into the specific battles and events, and but more of just a, an era by era overview uh, that I try to my best to connect. You know, a keep it entertaining, but also tie it to the modern era and some. Larger themes of history, and uh we're almost at the the modern day, and sort of broaching into the modern day. I'm going to sort of talk a little bit about today's navy and some of the challenges the force is facing, and specifically in in Asia and the Pacific with the rise of the somewhat clunkily named People's Liberation Army Navy, aka China's Navy.
1: <laughs> they like doing that with the names. Yeah,
0: I wonder if it's a. I, w- I wonder if it makes more sense in Chinese.
2: Possibly. I-, I think it does, and it is the army that won the Civil War, so.
0: True, true. And it was the uh, Navy that, uh, or the U.S. Navy, I should say, that stopped them from finishing off the Nationalists just 110 miles across the uh, Taiwan Strait.
1: We decided we were going to get together and tackle some expressions in English that are nautical or maybe not, because (laughs) Chase and I were sort of doing some groundwork for this episode, and there's this idea of canoe the committee to ascribe a nautical origin to everything what many expressions are thought to be nautical but in fact are not nautical
0: in, in fact so bad that i was going through uh, some of the books that i'd read just general naval history and and often they'll have a little anecdote section about oh and this phrase and this phrase comes from a nautical origin and i you know i sort of remembered where they were and i went and found them again in my large bookshelf of naval history and it turns out that several of them are Wrong, and the authors have been incorrectly educating their audiences for many years.
2: Well, what is reality? I, dear listener, <laughs> in this episode, I'm going to take the stance of the slightly communist postmodern European, uh, which I am hoping is going to provide a good counterpoint to my fellow uh, people on this show. What is reality cool. really? Isn't it just what we agree on? And if we agree that something. Etc. Expect this.
0: I'm ready. I personally think we're the the, the Sims 37, but hey, you know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, We often say, oh, this appears to be a nautical origin. People say this is a nautical origin, but it's secretly not. And a few weeks ago when I was teaching a class for adults, I told them about this canoe thing, the committee to ascribe a nautical origin to everything and how it's usually not nautical. And Over the course of that lecture, you know, I like to look up stuff, like somebody will say, what about this word or this phrase? And I will look it up and I'll have maybe the Oxford English Dictionary or some other websites on the screen behind me. And Mm -hmm. so help me, four or five times, it would say chiefly nautical, and (laughs) just for random words that were coming up. So I think there are some sneaky nautical phrases that we might not expect.
2: Okay. All right. I'd be willing to accept that. We'll see. We'll see how the rest goes.
0: Okay. We'll we'll see if I've heard of some of these sneaky ones or not.
1: Okay. Now, this episode is a special bonus patron edition for us. Uh, However, it's going to be a regular episode for the U.S. Naval History Podcast, so that'll be interesting. That'll move some traffic around. For our patrons we got a special message uh, a couple of special messages our yearly mail out is coming soon every patron will be getting a few choice items from us in their actual physical mailbox not your digital mailbox your your analog mailbox (laughs) so please make sure that patreon has your correct address also we have going now our Word of the Week of the Year. We take all the words of the week that are running around from all our episodes this year. We scrape them together. We slap them onto Twitter. We slap them onto Facebook. People can vote by liking them. A few candidates are emerging as favorites, so please go and vote. Hunt us down. We're because Lang Pod on all the socials. We'll be announcing the results on a live episode to which all patrons are invited. So watch our socials and watch our Discord for that information you can join us we're really looking forward to that
2: and it's like it's like word of the year that all these dictionaries and other institutions do but better because Mm. it's it's our listeners and our listeners are the best part of the population
1: they're
0: really on top of things. Do you guys care to pre-tip the scales and, and, and declare a uh, inside favorite, or are you going to leave that up to the audience? We
2: have chatted about it, and Daniel's told me one thing that's winning that I really like, but I think I yep. don't want to bias the vote.
1: Mm. I'm hoping that Usie <laughs> or ussy uh, no, can, sh- can sh- do well.
2: <laughs> also, okay, that okay. is that is never going to happen.
1: Well that's why I chose to say that one because yeah. I thought nobody's gonna go. Everyone hates that one. So you know everyone hates that one. I I was saying that I... got bandwagoned. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <no.
2: Exactly.
1: laughs> I will say that for that episode, our Discord friends are gonna bring their favorite words and, and there have been a few popping up. And it is word of the year season. We just love word of the year season. It's so much fun. Now, let me ask a question, you two we're going to try to make some calls as to whether an expression is nautical or is not nautical but mm-hmm. how would we know the difference is it just as simple as picking a few good websites or you know making a guess flinging a dart at a dartboard how do you know
0: probably earliest recorded usage if we have a mm-hmm. if it first appears in a nautical related book or a play or whatever written source we have, and it's specifically ascribed a nautical source or within maybe a year or two. That's Mm -hmm. a lay person's guess, but um, is there a better answer that I'm missing here?
2: No,
1: no, no. (laughs) (laughs) That's in my notes. If you, you check the original appearances in print, and if it has nothing to do with ships, then there's your answer.
2: That said, as with all etymology, we often can't go much further back than usually about the fifteen hundreds for it's Germanic true. languages. If it's Latin or something, then we can go further back. But if it's like English or German or something, usually fifteen hundreds is about the knockoff for most major text collections. And lo and behold, people spoke languages before <laughs> the fifteen hundreds, uh, and that word might've shifted from one origin to another by the point it was first recorded, right? So when we say nautical in origin, we mean nautical as early as 1500s probably, but like it could be earlier, hey. Like maybe all language stems from like- The sea. The sea. The sea. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: perhaps. (laughs) You know? We just pick up words and use them again. Yep. I think we'll see a few of those. So, how often does it happen,
0: if ever, that you know we think we know the origin of a word, and then you know someone finds or digitizes a manuscript, and someone you know somehow it gets picked up, and it's like, oh, in fact, we we completely misunderstood the origins of the word, and in fact, we had been you know ascribing it to a, a morphed meaning. Does that happen frequently at at all anymore?
2: I don't hear of that frequently, but there are a lot of words. <sighs> And there is not a news feed alerting all linguists as soon as this happens.
1: Well, you know, if you follow message boards, like especially the American Dialect Society, they do keep track of antedatings and they get really excited when a phrase gets antedated. Oh, I found this term and it's (laughs) older than we thought. And then that changes and then it gets added to maybe the Oxford English Dictionary or other places. So it does. Antedatings do happen.
2: But it's like, oh, we found an earlier occurrence of this word, but not like with a different meaning and like a different origin. It's usually just like the same thing we already had but older, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It doesn't happen very often that we completely flip our understanding of a word or phrase on its head. But right. like you said, Hedwig, words start getting used like a, a a hood, you know, if you look under a, a hood back in the Middle Ages you find a monk. And if you look under a hood now you find an engine. So things do change over time. I will say that you mentioned the 1500s Hedvig that is an interesting time for language and in history because that's kind of when we start seeing like it, correct me if I'm wrong Chase but we see nautical dominance worldwide shipping going on like if it's much later than that like if a if a expression starts in the 1800s and people claim it's nautical is there a time when nautical dominance, nautical things were so much in the public imagination that that would have been the time. And if it's later than that, then it's kind of too late to be nautical.
0: So if I were to hazard a random guess, I would say that while the 1500s is really when ocean-going expeditions became a big thing. For Europeans. Right. Well, well, I mean, the technology largely did not exist even outside of a European context. For large scale, you know, po- the Polynesians were cert- certainly doing it, I but was in terms say,
2: of like yeah, all of right, Pacific was settled right. three thousand years earlier, <laughs> right? <laughs> yep. Right, it, it, and so, they kept so, voyaging. So, so I meant then
0: in, in, in terms of large scale trading, right? You know, ships large enough to do regular back and forth of.
2: I think it's volume we're looking for, like,
0: right? A, a, mm. a, a volume and, and then speed of it, yeah, and, and then that sort of there, there's you know a lot of historians who, who would argue that one of the main Things that cause the development of the modern nation state, starting in Spain and Portugal and France, as we understand it today, is ocean going trade. And then you need to protect this ocean going trade because it's so valuable. It's making so much money. And you need to have a navy. But a navy is just ungodly expensive and it's logistically so hard to do. And you need to develop some bureaucracy and some centralization. And then that that, that spurs a state and becomes sort of a virtuous cycle. And you know, and then England gets in on it, right? And then the dominant and the Dutch and the, the various powers evolve, sort of the the modern bureaucratic, centralized nation state as understood in the, the Western world today because of trade. And that all stems from the very late fourteen to mid fifteen hundreds and Christopher Columbus and, and, you know, the Portuguese slightly around that mm. you know, figured out that you can go around the, the southern tip of Africa the Cape of Good Hope and reach India and you know, it turns out there's a bunch of stuff that you know, previously had been blocked by or heavily tariffed or inefficiently extracted through the Ottoman Empire via land and that this was really profitable and um, and, and, and navies expanded uh, via that process of protecting trade. But but I'd be, uh, you know, going back to the origin of, of words, I wonder if in more Romance-focused languages that perhaps many of the origins go back farther to the Roman time because, you know, the Mediterranean. Mar Nostrum, I think, right? You know, our lake. The Romans had extensive trade and the empire could not have been sustained without trade, because Rome itself would have starved to death a thousand times over had they not been able to bring grain and mass from Egypt and, you know, trade throughout the, the Mediterranean. And and they were mostly navigating via coastline, but they were doing some cross Mediterranean trade as well. And and so I, I wonder if in some of the Romance languages, a lot of that terminology goes back to the the Roman era because there was an extensive, extensive Mediterranean seaborne trade network.
1: So if I said 1500s, 1600s, 1700s, prime nautical territory, 1800s a little late, or is that wrong?
0: I mean, I think that if you were to look at a graph of people that did ocean going voyages and value of trade and volume of trade, it would just be an exponential curve up until today, starting at. You know, we'll call it oh. 14, You know, ninety or so, fourteen fifty. Um, okay, I mean, just you know, today, uh, it, and I don't think that exponential curve breaks anywhere. Quite frankly,
1: okay, great, okay, good to know. Okay, that's going to influence my my choices here.
2: We should add to the historical record that when we say trade, right, like we are talking about trade of valuable things like spices and things, but we're also talking about brutal extortion of people and the Humans, transportation yes. of slaves. Uh, yes. And um, even when it's not the transportation of slaves, the extortion of people through this trade. My husband's reading a book right now about the uh, East uh, British East India Company, and it's, it's mm, mm-hmm. yeah. interesting yes, times. For a,
0: yeah, several centuries there. There was a unfortunate aspect of of trade, and, and really one that that enabled it because the Europeans, through combination of policy and disease, wiped out the the native population, and you know, you need someone to go produce the the trade goods that are being sent back to Europe and convenient source. So just look south, and and then that created tens of millions of, of lives immiserated. And over the course of the next three hundred odd years or so,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, I would like to also, in addition to looking for the first instance of a word or a phrase, there are some reliable websites that I think are especially reliable. Can I just? Name some, and maybe you can name yours. The Oxford English Dictionary, who sponsors the show. Worldwide Words by Michael Quinian. The Phrase Finder by Gary Martin. WordHistories.net by Pascal Chegouet. I think that the grammarphobia blog with Patricia O'Connor and Stuart Kellerman is quite good. Mental Floss uses different authors. I quite like them. And also Away With Words with Grant, Barrett, and Martha Barnett. So those are some sources that I tend to, to trust. Any more that I missed? Crickets. <laughs> okay, great. We'll put a link to those on our website, becauselanguage.com. Now, we started off by asking our friends on Discord to name some of their favorite maritime expressions, or are they? Let's get started. Aria Flame starts us off by saying, I mentioned in there wheelhouse, I think, at some point. She wanted to know about wheelhouse. Yay or nay? What is a wheelhouse?
2: Isn't that for a mill that's attached to a creek?
1: Can be. Uh, wouldn't that be a (laughs) mill? no
2: (laughs) (laughs) no because you can have it with wind yes that's right
1: that is uh one use of wheelhouse that has been used in history once again we talked about how Mm. words get used for one thing and then picked up and changed and changed and changed so that's one usage when do we see that uh that version of wheelhouse just gonna check because i didn't save that
0: so I, I know in a in a nautical sense a wheelhouse is the pilot house, and you generally would not say at least on a, a navy vessel go to the wheelhouse. But I, I would understand what someone meant because there is a literal wheel, but we would say mm. pilot house where you know there's a the wheel, but also uh, the helmsman would work and the mates and the quartermasters and, and essentially where the the primary driving location of the ship is usually up high where there's a good view because uh, it's hard to beat the mark one eyeball for. For a lot of things when uh navigating over the high seas. But but as I understand it with some preliminary research, that is actually, while it is a very old usage calling the pilot house a wheelhouse, it is not the the original.
1: It's close. According to Oxford, they collapse those two into one. There's a structure enclosing a large wheel, so it could be a water wheel, could mm-hmm. be a steering wheel. 1835 is the first instance, and it is oh wait, no.
2: 1835? That's quite late.
1: I, I've got an eighteen oh eight. We got to go back eighteen o eight a building in which cart wheels are stored that's the wheelhouse, so that's the earliest, but then the uh the water wheel house and the steering wheel house appear to be pretty contemporaneous
2: isn't this just good fashioned Germanic compounding the ways that English has lost all of these people mm-hmm. are like we have a wheel, we have a building where the the is it's a wheelhouse and yep all of them maybe independently started using this term because like. You have a mill by a creek, you have a wheel in the house, Your wheelhouse, you have a steering wheel in a room. And then the cart wheels seem to be like the most, um, how do you say, the most wheelie wheel out of those three.
1: Okay. Yeah, the most prototypical wheel.
2: Because that's the one that's actually used for transportation, like a wheel, like on a cart. Mm-hmm. Whereas the, the steering wheel and the m- mill one are analogs of that.
1: Yeah, maybe a bit less so. I notice also that there's a couple more usages of wheelhouse. Uh, the wheelhouse in baseball from 1959, the area that you've got to get the ball into when the batter is trying to hit it with uh, the with cricket bat. And then. Oh, the wicket. The w- <laughs> Sorry, uh, did I say baseball? Well, sports ball. I meant to say sports, sports ball. Sports ball, there we go. <laughs> this is not a sports podcast.
2: Wicket is my favorite cricket term. It means like three or four different
1: things. Does it? Wait, I'm struggling.
2: Yeah, there's the wicked the object, there's the wicked when you do a thing, there's the wicket that you're standing on.
1: In, huh? in sports ball that's three different things? In cricket. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, okay. I did not know that.
2: This is just from my poor British husband trying to teach me cricket and I go, wait, you said that word again. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? Why? That's
1: got to be something different because yeah. ambiguity is standard in language. Yeah. Look, cricket is easy, it's just like baseball except there's three bases <laughs> instead of four.
0: And, and the, yes. the games, or whatever you call them, last all
2: yes. day long. That's right. And there's cucumber sandwiches, <laughs> I, and you can drink and hang out with your mates.
1: It's great. How fun. The wheelhouse meaning expertise comes from about 1987. The quote is, he told me he couldn't play reggae. Of course he could, but it wasn't his wheelhouse. So, uh, I, are we saying nautical? I think I think at least Wait. a little bit...
2: And where does that metaphor come from? Which one of the three right? Of? That, that seems
0: like a a leap to come out of nowhere, right? It's it's yeah. in my my wheelhouse, I guess a wh- a wheelhouse in the sense of Nate, you know, a ship is that's where you control the ship from. So perhaps
1: that is the relevant yeah. metaphor. Yes, it's where you control the thing from. And so it goes from place where you control the ship to area of skill or expertise. So I can see that that's the connection there. Hmm. Oh. Okay. Perhaps not originally nautical, but certainly uh, nautical meaning joined along with other meanings at the time.
2: Now, I would say that's nautical. If it comes from the, the steering wheel on a ship wheelhouse wheelhouse yes. to in my wheelhouse, then that's just straight up nautical origin to me.
1: Oh, you mean like the water wheelhouse sense sort of diverged because there's no expertise that's intended there?
2: Well, I was also going to say I wasn't sure that that was the case because maybe like what you have in your wheelhouse where you have your cartwheels is where you have the things you use.
1: I mean, possibly. Oh gosh, this is so tangly already. Yeah. Okay. So let me let me amend that then. Okay. Uh, the, the wheelhouse, meaning the steering wheelhouse was one sense of many for wheelhouse at the time, but it's probably the prevailing sense that gave us this idea of your area of expertise. Does that sound right?
0: I, I'd buy that, yeah.
2: Okay,
1: okay, cool. Let's go to Aristemo, who mentions pipe down, nautical or not. What's the story?
2: I barely know what it means.
0: Oh. Pipe down, you kids. Yeah, it's like, a, it's like an old man phrase, right? Um, or at least that, that's how I associate
2: it. <laughs> yeah,
0: Beyond-
1: pipe down over there. <laughs> Beyond the nautical. <laughs> you kids with your rock and roll. Get off my lawn. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. So, so have, have any of you guys ever heard a bosun's mate's pipe?
2: You said several words I don't know.
0: Ah. Boson. Boson. Yeah. So I'm going to chat that over to you. Let me know if you can hear this. Boson.
1: That was quite piercing.
0: Right. It is is quite annoying, especially when you are being woken up by it. Or in the case of pipe down, it is uh, the signal to... Well, really, it's a signal to pay attention to what's going on on the 1MC, right? So the, the ship-wide announcement circuit. And um, if I were running a ship, I don't think I would have that, uh, despite the the nautical tradition associated with it. But pipe down, at least in the naval context, would be there's a specific piercing whistle from the bosun's pipe that would signify the announcement that uh, the ship is sort of going into night mode, right? No one really ever goes fully to sleep because... You have to maintain watch twenty four seven, but we do have a a rough day and night on the ship. And after that, announcements are supposed to be minimized. and And I would imagine that in the days of um sail, that that perhaps and when we didn't have radars and whatnot to man, that that would be somewhat even more significant. You know, go put out the lights, get in your get in your hammock, something like that. And that is the the naval origin of it. And the bosuns take great pride in being good bosuns pipe pipe downers, um, and and when, when someone really messes one up in front of the whole ship on the on the one MC, it is a uh, the cause of I'm sure some some ribbing in the um, bosun's locker.
2: So I have a question for Daniel. So uh, mm-hmm. thank you, Chase. We learned about bosuns pipe and piping, and pipe down means the whole ship goes into sort of lower. Activity yeah, mode.
0: N- night mode, so to speak. Um,
2: right. Mm-hmm. But when, when the, the old man shouts at the kids, pipe down, they yep. mean, be quiet, stop doing things.
1: Yeah, that's right. Because when it was bedtime, the bosun would play the tune on the pipe and the sailors would all go down to bed and be quiet. And so oh, okay. that sense of being quiet uh, from the 1700s carried over into the 1800s. Uh, and that's where we start seeing pipe down. Oh okay. That one is Def's nautical. Okay, next one. Cut of their jib, Aristamo asks us. What about this one? Chase, what's it what's a jib? So the jib is
0: the small not all ships have them, but in the days of sailing ships, a small forward most sail on a sailing ship. And the jib I have done in the past some small amount of research or you know, learning on what the sail does, and it, it actually doesn't do much propelling on its own, but it has something to do with the aerodynamic properties of en- enabling less or more turbulence on the mainsail, therefore allowing the ship to go faster and with better control.
1: Okay, so what's this cut thing? Well, the the
0: cut, as I understand it, it is not so much the the physical cut or you know the, the the size and the shape, but if you keep it you know taut um, because it's sort of useless if it's flapping around, uh-huh. and so. What I would imagine to be the the connection is uh, like the cut of your jib, so that the style or perhaps how you manage the jib sail, um, and that would tell the viewers a lot, or t- tell anyone looking at it a lot about the ship. You know, a what purpose it is, but also how well the crew was handling it, because uh, it, it's very easy for that again that jib sail to boop, 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 if it's not carefully attended to. And then I think that that okay. connects to you know I like how you look, or I like how
1: you think. Or how you're doing things, or how you're operating the ship, or yeah, okay. Um, I see here a quote from Sir Walter Scott in 1824. I don't know if this is the first mention, but if she disliked what the sailor calls the cut of their jib, and that little sailor reference indicates that at least Sir Walter Scott at the time (laughs) thought that this was a sailor thing. This was generally agreed to be of a nautical origin. Hmm. And of course, since it is a part of a boat, then that would make sense. So no disputing there, but thank you for backing us up with some information about that one let's see i want to skip over to one by aria flame oh she's already had one but let's do another one uh grog ah so one thing that i know about grog is that it's related to groggy if you drink too much grog <laughs> then you do feel groggy and i hadn't made that connection before so that was fun but what do we have on grog
2: well so grog in swedish is the thing that you mix it's the hard liquor that you mix with something else to make a drink.
0: Interesting, okay, interesting,
2: so like vodka is a kind of grog, and you can mix that with orange juice or whatever you're doing, and then mm-hmm. that other thing is called, oh, you don't have this word, but like what do you call like wood fi- firewood, like wood that you use for fire
1: firewood, yeah, firewood <laughs> yeah. yep
2: okay, so orange juice in the scenario is grog firewood
1: is that right? Hmm.
2: because it's what you add to make a thing that's valuable, oh. interesting. Okay. Grog okay. yeah. And like tonic water is also Grog Firewood.
1: Okay. Now, uh, Chase, what have you got on this one?
0: So Grog, as I understand it, was originally sort of a Royal Navy or perhaps going back farther than that term. That was the watered down rum that the sailors were issued um, as part of their, their ration and possibly connected to the lack of fresh water aboard. And this helped keep the level of infection down. But now, you know, obviously we're not we're not getting drunk aboard Navy ships anymore. There's no grog ration, has not been for quite a long time. Its modern usage in a in a naval setting would be generally a, a particularly nasty drink. In the context you would see this is a dining out, which is this naval tradition where generally the wardroom, so the officers you know, go out and for you know, everyone gets on their nicest uniform and, and brings a date, it's very impressive and, and there's a lot of fun and, and funny traditions associated with that. And people get called out for various things they have done wrong um, or perceived to have done wrong, both at the ceremony and on the ship. And they are forced to go drink the grog, which is generally, you know, think about uh, fraternity animal house style disgusting if they just, you know, put mayonnaise and hard liquor and, you know, whatever else. Oh, witch's
2: brew. Oh, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Absolutely disgusting. You're forced to go drink the grog and and you have to go, you know, drink a a cup of it. And it's it's revolting having done it on several occasions. (laughs) Okay.
2: Is? Navy culture, just like very similar to fraternity culture? In some ways, yes,
0: in the sense that it's a bunch of young men put together. And I think you just get similar group dynamics. In many senses, no, and that there's at least some semblance of order and structure and work to be done as opposed to, I guess, there's theoretically studying to be done. Or expected in a fraternity, but I think the standards are much looser. But I would say there are, are some instances, but significantly more professionalized and, um, and fewer of the downsides.
1: I've got a reference here to Old Grog, which was the nickname of someone named Edward Vernon, a British admiral. So this is about 1740. He, in August 1740, ordered his sailor's rum to be diluted. And the reason his nickname was Old Grog was because he wore a grogrum cloak. And I'd never heard of grogram, but apparently it's a bit like burlap. It's a coarse fabric. Huh. Now, is that going to fit in, or does that run afoul of Hedvig's information that there's a Norse tie in as well?
2: No, no, no. The Norse, we could just have it. I am actually looking up the Swedish. So the oldest Swedish example of grog is 1795.
1: Oh, shoot. That's way after 1740. So that sounds totally plausible.
2: And it says, So that means the crew on the certain kind of ship that I don't know the word for in English, uh, in the cold days, specific all afternoons, should be served hot grog, which is made from a kind of hard liquor that I don't know the word for in English, water and brown syrup. Mm-hmm. That sounds like they're trying to make rum because they're adding brown syrup.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, so he got named after the grogram that he wore, but then the Grog got named after him. That's interesting.
2: Maybe, yeah. But the other thing about alcohol on, on ships, um, so in medieval times, uh, because water was often infested with various kinds of bacteria, you could get sick. So like all through medieval times, people would drink light alcohol, even children, because that was safer than water, right? So it makes sense that heard. even sailors would be <laughs> would be try to not get sick, especially if you have hmm. standing water in barrels. You probably got all kinds of shit going on, right? Yeah.
1: All right. We're going to say that one is nautical. Let's go on to one by Is Tin has mentioned cockpit as having a nautical origin. Yay or nay? I don't
0: know. I I only associate, associate cockpit with um, aviation. You know, and there's certainly a lot of naval mm-hmm. aviation. But I have um I'm gonna Ignorance here.
1: Okay.
2: I know that cockpit is a thing on an airplane, and I think it's mm-hmm. a part of a ship as well.
1: It is. It was applied to ships before it was applied to airplanes, but. Yeah.
2: I think a lot of things are, right? Like you get like airplane captains and.
1: Uh, yeah, that's the path, right? Yeah. yeah. So the reason it's called a cockpit is because it resembled the circular pit that you would induce roosters to fight each other in, which is. <laughs> terribly sad and not something that i like but it does in in photos it really does look like a round sort of circular pit so cockpit is what it is and then that got applied so is it nautical um not originally but as far as a nautical usage that certainly predates the aviation usage so uh, i guess we can say that's a yes i want to know about captain's log Because this is one of Ben's favorite things, and he's not here right now. But tell us the story of log from your perspective, Jace, if you wouldn't mind.
0: So a a captain's log would be more properly called today a deck log. And that is a legal document where you you write down what is happening on the ship. And there's certain required things and certain optional things, sort of best practice things you would write down. And as the officer of the deck, sort of the person t- in charge of the the pilot house, right, or the wheelhouse, you know, you have your quartermaster write stuff down, and at the end of every watch, you would sign it, right, to verify its authenticity, and, and this is a, a legal document. But ultimately, the captain, the CO, retains ultimate responsibility for everything that happens on the ship. Everything. It's it's a tradition that the U.S. Navy inherited from the the Royal Navy, and and that would be the equivalent of a a, a captain's log and you know, essentially the captain's book of what is happening on board
1: the ship. Hmm. So as to why they call it a log, I have the story here. It's the story that Ben likes. So what they would do when they were sailing about, they would measure the ship's progress by throwing a log overboard, an actual wooden board or a wooden log with a rope attached to it. And then they would watch as the rope would play out and that's how they would measure the speed and then they would record that speed in knots, knots. Yeah, yeah. that's right the string had knots in it and that would be that's why we say that you travel at a rate of knots and we uh, record things in a logbook so yes definitely nautical
0: interesting so I I,
1: uh,
0: I had been falsely told by somebody a long time ago that that was not actually true and um, and so I was oh, afraid to say it oh, I was check. afraid to say it <laughs> I didn't want to be I didn't want to be proven wrong
1: <laughs> well maybe it is wrong let's find out Did they really... How do we find out?
2: We Google. (laughs) And then once we've Googled, here's a teaching moment. Yes. We look at the things we get, and we Google Captain's Log Etymology on your husband's computer who has a different keyboard from you, so you misspell it. And then you see that the first entry, because I'm me and my husband is very similar to me as well, is uh, about Star Trek. (laughs) And you skip that one. Yes, you do. Uh, and then we have logbook on Wikipedia and logbook on Victionary. Victionary tends to collate a lot of they're not always right. And they say the thing about the wooden float thing from the 1670s.
1: And nobody is gainsaying it. Uh, is it weird that the entry for Wikipedia, there's an entry called chip log, not ship log? Chip log. History. All nautical instruments that measure the speed of a ship through water are known as logs. This nomenclature dates back to the days of sail when sailors tossed a log, attached to a rope, knotted at regular intervals off the stern of a ship, Sailors counted the number of knots that passed through their hands in a given time to determine the ship's speed today. Sailors and aircraft pilots still express speed in knots. Nothing in that entry or any of the others that I've seen have said that that's wrong, and I know that that sounds like it's one of those oh, there used to be an actual log and it sounds like one of those dumb things, but in this case it
2: does actually
1: appears to be true interesting
2: well what i'm what I'm worried about is that it's a very attractive
1: story, yes, and if it's attractive, then you got to worry about it
2: and Sometimes that means it spreads to wildfire through several sources because everyone's like, that's fun and quirky. People think we're really boring. Let's add a fun and quirky thing so that people think we're fun.
1: On the other hand, we do know that this is a fairly well-documented thing and people yeah. have described. Let's just, let's just see if in the Oxford English Dictionary, is there a record of people saying we threw the log overboard and counted the number of knots and blah, blah, blah.
2: I checked etim online. Uh, Urban Dictionary is being very silly, as per usual. Oh. They're saying that it has to do with Captain Kirk's feces. <laughs> um,
1: Why wouldn't it be? Of course.
0: So, so, but, but it's interesting because the log book of you know has been completely disassociated from you know in many contexts from uh, anything nautical, right? You've you've left off the deck part or the captain's part, and now you anyone can conceivably have a log book in which you're just recording the events of the the day or the shift or whatever mm-hmm. thing is going on um you know boy scout troop logbook or something
1: well here's a description from 1574 i'm just going to read some of these quotes from oxford 1574 they hail i guess that means haul they hail in the log or piece of wood again and look how many fathom the ship hath gone in that time uh 1644 somebody out of the gallery let's fall the log 1669 we throw the log every 2 hours and then 1719 Heave the log from the poop, huh? which brings in our Captain Kirk metaphor <laughs> there.
2: Okay, I have a question for you too. Okay. Do you think yes. that log in this? So, so uh, log is also used in programming to uh, when you write a script mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you uh, get output, uh, while you're waiting for that output, you might make the script report to a log. Mm-hmm. So, what that mm-hmm. means is like it'll do its output and do its thing, but it'll also be like, it'll write in this little text document, I did this thing, the time is this. Mm-hmm. And then when it finishes another task, it's like, and I did this thing, and the time is that. And then you can look at the log because you don't want to sit and babysit your script all the time. You can look at what it did at what time. Which is good if that's you right. want to like try and make it more efficient in certain ways. That's called a log, not like a mm-hmm. log book or anything. I just call it a log. Another thing in programming that's called a log is when you log transform a number.
0: Uh, but but that, that's that's log a logarithm. Yeah,
2: this was where I was going to see if you guys would
1: be confused, (laughs) but you weren't. And we both
2: weren't. Good job.
1: Don't forget also that on computers you log in and log out, so that comes from log as well. uh, Oh yeah, gets logged somewhere. Also, don't forget blog, which comes from weblog. So there's a log again.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But if you learn programming today and you learn like, oh, you're typing to a log, and here's a log transform of this number. You could see how someone could be like, "Oh, are those related? What's going on?"
1: <laughs> oh no, ambiguity once again. Mm. Yeah. This one's from Glyph Keelhaul. Ah, this sounds really terrible. <sighs> Did it really happen? Did people really get keelhauled? So, oh, um, I do know that
0: people, in fact, were keelhauled. Um, I think and they're... it it goes back to, I believe, Roman times where it was a, a prescribed punishment. And you know, there, there's there's sort of two ways it's described, as, as I understand it. One is where there's sort of ropes tied to the person's hands and the feet, and they're sort of dragged on the underside of the ship. And, and these ships have a bunch of barnacles on them. And, and this person, you know, if they're continuously dragged along their back, they're most likely dead or permanently crippled by the time they get to the other side. And it would be a, a, a near-death sentence for someone who um, – had had committed some particularly egregious act, which back in the days of uh, really pre-modern sale could be as something as little as uh, talking back to an officer or falling asleep on your watch could quite literally be the death sentence back then. But the more modern, quote unquote, version was practiced by the Dutch. I think it has a Dutch um, origin where they would tie your feet or your arms to one of the the masks and... Uh, then they would, you know, sort of sink you, you know, with you know lead on your feet, and then they would like pull you, and then that that would be cut, and then you'd be pulled, and and so you wouldn't be scraped along all the barnacles, but nonetheless, it would be a a cold and painful and you know humiliating punishment, and it was considered particularly barbaric, and and I don't believe that it ever happened with the royal or U.S. Navy, but who knows what happens at sea? Sometimes I think uh, would would not be unheard
2: of. Yeah, I was gonna say. Probably at some point, right? People do crazy stuff.
1: I need to go back a, a step. What part of the boat is the keel? Um, I, is it like on the bottom? The keel the bottom? is the bottom. Right, right. Okay. Right. So you get hauled under the keel and then that's how you get keel hauled mm-hmm. allegedly in the story. Mm-hmm.
2: When you have a sailing ship, right? Like if you have a small sailing ship and you're doing racing, then usually you have like kind of a small boat and then you have like a long keel. Because the the deeper your keel is, the more stable you are, right?
0: Yeah, and so a lot of sailboats will have sort of a deep um, protrusion, fin, effectively. Yeah. Uh, you know, for additional stabilization. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of maritime engineering that goes into into that. But you know, the keel is, is technically it's just the sort of the backbone, the very bottom part in the middle, the backbone. But you you could okay. broadly, you know, sort of a more expansive um, people know what you're talking about definition be you know sort of anything on the bottom portion of the boat. Below the waterline generally. Okay.
2: And it is what will hit ground if anything hits ground.
0: Correct. And and that would, you know, leave you high and dry if the tide went out and um
1: <laughs> Yeah. High and dry, there you go. <laughs> Let's move on to Laura's question about booty, because I found something interesting about that one. But do we have any idea why booty is called booty? Or is this one me? Educate us. Should I drive? Is yeah. it <laughs> Okay.
2: To shoes somehow?
1: Unrelated, not related to shoes. Mm. So this ties into a question. Sometimes people ask me, "Why is it good, better, and best? Why isn't it good, gooder, and goodest?" And
2: why is? Why is anything? <laughs> why is people, anything? Anything? Why is anything? Uh huh.
1: But in this case, there's an interesting answer. Okay. Good is a word that supplanted an older word, that did have a b in it the word was bot bot okay. better and best bot better and best and then eventually good sort of took over because people liked it but huh. the better and best remained the word bot meant some sort of advantage or something good and so if you managed to get your hands on some booty that was something good that gave you an advantage or gave you something it, it was it was good for you to have that so now the word bot survives in exactly two places that I know of, and that's booty, which is something good, or to boot. It's delicious and nutritious to boot, oh, and that oh. means in addition to, in, in, as another additional good thing. So booty and to boot, but they are not related to boots that you wear on your feet, and that's why we call it booty. Booty
0: always has somewhat of a unsavory or seedy or piratical, perhaps connotation is it or or do you guys have a different one is that just is that just me booty you know me. Like I, booty.
2: well it's, it's pirates right so right right <laughs>
1: that's, that's exactly <laughs> what i was thinking i was thinking well i mean it is kind of unsavory but i mean pirates right so anything oh. that
2: you get like you might call it booty i don't know but like maybe if you're doing not on sea but you're doing some kind of like capturing of something good like if you're an army and you're trying to or if you're, like, playing a video game and you're trying to, like, capture the flag, you, maybe you could call that booty. But I feel like you need to get it through violence.
1: Yeah, it's nefarious, definitely.
0: Yeah, or, or yeah, I guess ultimately it derives violence, but I would say, you know, pirate's booty, right? You know, it's buried treasure, effectively.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay, here's where I get to uh, say why I went whoop oh. earlier when Daniel was saying about boot, butter, and bottest or best. Oh, um, yes, yes, yes. So uh, Scandinavian languages, we have boot, which means nowadays, which means improvement, and it means um, uh, like a a cure. Oh my goodness! Like if you got poison, then what you need is a boot the like a bettering agent. <laughs> Amazing! <laughs> but it doesn't mean it doesn't mean just good anymore. But it means cure.
1: Yes, but it okay. It looks like
2: it's the same thing. I'm looking up on an etymology. Interesting. Yeah,
1: that's cool. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad there's a Scandi reflex. That's really rad.
2: Well, I mean, this is going to happen all the time, right?
1: Yeah. Here's another one that Laura said was maybe ha- has a Scandi reflex, and that's landlubber. Hedvig, does that twig anything for you?
2: Uh, we would say something else, right? Because
1: uh... I've got I've got here, Um, there's a Swedish dialectical word, whatever that means. Okay. Lubber, a plump, lazy fellow. Heard
2: of that one? Sorry, what?
1: Some sort of lazy
0: lout. I've heard of lubber as in like a person, you know, sort of a generic, like perhaps Scandinavian
1: old-fashioned term for person. A plump, lazy fellow. That's what my sources are giving me.
2: How are you spelling it?
1: L U B B E R.
2: L U B B. That's u. Yes. That's that's not an l sound. That's a u sound. But
1: fine. <laughs> oh.
2: Uh
1: So that's a thing. L U L
2: U B B
1: A R. E R. Is it? That- or is there a lobby, L-O-B-I, which is well, a lazy...
2: What I'm confused about is that there's the word job. Can you spell it in the Zoom chat? I'm confused about the words. I'm very bad with spelling. I'm a very bad linguist. <laughs> when people tell no, no, me no, letters, my brain cannot make them into words. Totally spell understand. It in the Zoom chat.
1: Totally understand. Here I L-U-B-B go. L-U-B-B. There's my reference there in chat.
2: Lubber. Okay, there's no J there. Nope. Thought you said a J. See? This is why you can't trust me when you say letters. Uh okay, no now problem. I have to Well, there's the only one I know which the thing says here, which is luba, which means to run. Um Probably not. Hmm. Yeah, exactly.
1: I'm willing to cast some doubt on my etymology there. I would just like to say, however, that the existence of landlubbers supposes the existence of other kind of lubbers, for example, air lubbers. <laughs> Fire lovers and, of course, water lovers, which are sort of presumed before the
2: Fire Nation attacked. Yeah,
0: ha- have you heard uh, of any other sort of lover <laughs> in 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 uh, non
1: <laughs> in in usage? It's not like monger, is it? I mean, we should have all kinds of mongers floating around, but it's always something bad, like scandal monger, whore mm-hmm. monger, rumor monger, and fish. Fish, yeah.
2: I was gonna say, so lube can be a kind of fish. And it can be a word for, uh, oh yeah, it's connected with running, like How to run in various ways. I wonder if that has the same I don't root. know what this thing is. Plump, lazy uh, fella. But, mm,
1: mm, not sure. Oh, it okay. can
2: be a clumsy object.
1: What? Well, that's what I want. So what is that one?
2: Well, it just says clumsy object from <laughs> 1755.
1: That sounds like a relevant sense.
2: Yeah, but it really it's a very, 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 very small entry.
1: And it's very late as well, seventeen hundreds. Yeah. Cause we start seeing lubber from fourteen from the thirteen hundreds, which is really early.
2: Maybe it's it's um land lubber as someone who runs around on land. That makes way more sense oh.
1: to me. Oh. That makes sense. Uh... <laughs> That's
2: because yeah. all the it's not a crazy, lazy person is the person who runs around. Oh, maybe they're crazy and lazy. Is this where I get to say that Viking was a job?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I did not know that you could be like, that was your occupation.
2: No, the the idea that all Scandi people during like 800 to like 1200 were Vikings is not true. Viking was a small part of the population who had the job of going seafaring and terrorizing other people and try to get things from them. They were Vikings, but
0: primarily trading. The majority
2: oh. of the population were farmers,
0: but pri- primarily trading, though, right? Because most of them, you know, they went down a lot of the, the Danube and a bunch of other Central European rivers, and there's tons of Vikings essentially who were trading with the Byzantine Empire.
2: Oh yeah, and they were like part of the Byzantine guard and things mm-hmm. like that, but they also
0: raiding England, pillaged.
2: <laughs> yeah, like it's 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 very much like two sides of the same. Like they were doing both things all the time. Mm probably when they could rape and pillage they did
1: yeah i think whatever's easiest and sometimes they didn't like i i know that there are records of vikings like scandi people coming to england and then just sort of coexisting in fact sometimes taking land that was worse if other land was already taken so well, well, well england
0: was just this extraordinarily rich land especially compared to mm. you know the uh, you know scandinavia probably and a bunch of Pre, before England was unified, you had a bunch of uh, independent kingdoms, essentially. And the Vikings essentially just arrived and they, over the course of a generation, conquered a bunch of it and and got themselves. And then once you have this area, it's like, well, why do we have to keep raiding? We could just stick around and become king of this great area. And, and then they sort of mm. became part of the, the aristocracy um, and either intermarried or came to some accommodation with the the existing or, or not <laughs> with the existing English aristocratic and power structures and and you know now we have a anglo-saxon norman inflected uh england
2: i mean that was part of it and like whenever they do like genetic survey of england they they find um like like scandinavian dna you can see in certain words you can see it particularly in scottish like the word for child is "bairn," which is barn in scandy languages hmm. like you can see it clearly they still raped and pillaged and killed people. And I should say that like in medieval times also, sure, everyone kind of did that. That's like just the nature of ruling a society and having power involves massive killing and otherizing other people. Um, I was watching this video recently about like whether we should construe that as like racism or not because like all through ancient times or pre-modern times, like Greeks for example, hated everyone who wasn't Greek. Regardless of their skin color, right? I, I, th- I think that
0: you know anything other than extreme cultural chauvinism is a, um, you know, something that is one or two or three decades old. You know, I, I think every yeah. essentially every yeah. culture throughout world history has been like, we are the greatest, the gods love us, and you all suck. Uh, yeah, and therefore we can do whatever we want.
2: There are a couple yeah. of cases of like semi-multicultural empires like the Songhai Empire arguably and the Persian Empire and a couple of more or the Mongols who were like yeah yeah you can practice whatever religion you want as long as you pray for our
0: emperor. But do you think that think that the ruling eth- yes. ethno group thought that oh yeah you guys are as good as us or it's just like yeah we're going to tolerate you?
2: Yeah, exactly. It's it's more like tolerate. But and like Vikings went very far. They did trade. They did do semi-peaceful trade maybe in some cases, but also they definitely raped and pillaged and killed, and uh, everywhere. Yeah. And, I mean, everyone did, but they were also exceptionally good at it, yeah. as we know, because they were like hired par to do it. F- for, for, for the people. course
0: for a militarily successful yeah. society.
2: Yeah, hmm. and I mean, part of the reason, if we get back to naval stuff, part of the reason they were able to do it is because the the shipbuilding um, was was pretty good. Yeah. They had these like wide. Uh, keels and uh,
0: shallow draft and could go up rivers and were the, the closest thing that uh, the, I guess, medieval world had to to shock and awe where, you know, they could deliver a boatload or two of men to you know, a village or a monastery or, you know, a town or something like that. And you can't muster a response in, in that amount of time. And, you know, the rivers were highways for, yeah. you know, both trading, but also for raping and pillaging. And conveniently, all the, the towns were located on rivers.
2: I was reading, I was listening to the fossilization about the Songhai Empire, and they were also, there was a period where they were really uh, going on boats on rivers a lot. And there was a particular ruler for a while who was so fond of it that when they were sieging towns, before they sieged a town, he would they would dig a canal to the hmm. town. Because he was like, no, 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 all the people have to arrive by boat. And if there isn't a waterway to where we're going, we're going to make hmm. one. <laughs> They would just like dig canals, put their boats on it. and Was that like
0: a a love or the fact that, you know, it was logistically impossible to transport enough food uh, without it?
2: Maybe, but like no other emperors in the region or rulers in the region or emperors before and after this guy really did it. (laughs) Just
0: like like
1: boats. I like boats. I like boats.
0: Let's go
2: with boats. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Okay, you two can see the run sheet just as well as I can. Uh, are no, there any I can't expressions? i on that my husband's computer. Y- are there any expressions that you would like to tackle? We can bounce around a little bit. Let's get the ones that you're especially fascinated by. Um,
0: yeah, so so one thing that uh, old Anne said, and I'm curious if you guys have an opinion on this, and she said, mm-hmm. I just read a reference to an old seafaring journal that used the phrase, our ship got underway, and that's U N D E R space w e i g h for a ship leaving port interesting mm. spelling and apparently the expression mm. underway is a nautical one and so underway you know w a y is the ship leaving port yep. and, and my thought with under w e i g h is that it's sort of a, a pre-modern bad spelling you know prior to dictionaries and whatnot and spell check do you do you guys think it could be anything else
1: it does appear to be an eggcorn, as far as i can tell so here's the story that I have here, as far as I could put together, was that way, W-A-Y, doesn't mean a road or a route, but it is nautical. It means the progress of the ship through the water or the wake that the ship leaves behind, and way has been used like that since at least the 1600s, but I took a look at under way, W-A-Y, versus under way, looks like underway has been used since 1622 underway with the gh only since 1777 so it looks like the underway w-a-y is the earliest spelling and interestingly comes from dutch onderweg, which means under or among the ways so this Uh is a very early meaning of under where we think of under being like oh you're under a thing it's on top of you but under used to mean something like among. And that is the same sense of under as understand. As far as we can tell, when you understand something, it's because you are standing not under the things that you understand, but you are standing among the things that you are able to comprehend. So this is a fascinating, super old version of under that they used for understand and also underway. So there's the tie-in. Interesting.
2: Also, isn't way with a G and way just cognates? Ah.
1: That I don't know.
2: All the other Germanics, we do G at the end.
1: That's true. Okay, so now we have... It's time for the Related (laughs) or Not game. Is way and way related? Let's just find out.
2: W-A-Y-N W E I G. Do you guys want
1: to pre-register some guesses?
2: I think they are related.
1: I think they are related because I already know that it's under VEG with a G. so, So, why not? But what's the unifying sense? I'm having trouble. Road, way, and and then the sense of weighing something, g- gauging its weight. What's going on there?
2: It's just different. Thank you, Hedvig. <laughs> Sorry, I don't think that weighing something and this kind of way is related. You don't. I don't. Also, before like 1900, spelling is just a
1: free for all. I know, I know. But if it but if it is written, then it probably ties in somehow. Let's see. From etamonline.com, they mention uh, that there's weigh, that W-E-I-G-H, like something weighs a lot, comes from Old High German wehgan, to move or to carry or to weigh, and to move or transport in a vehicle.
2: Ah, yeah, so so they could be related.
1: I think they are related. They both go back to Proto-Indo-European "weg." And the unifying sense here is that you're lifting something which shows how much it weighs but when you lift it you move it onto a vehicle so that you can then move Hmm. it and this ties into another sense which is to weigh anchor which doesn't mean to see how heavy the anchor is it means to lift the anchor so when you weigh something you have got to lift it so that you can see how much it weighs and that implies moving and that implies taking it on some sort of way interesting there you go so yes related, and I had not known that before. Okay, that was pretty cool. What's another one that seems... We can move off of our patron list onto our grab bag if you want to. Were there any that captivated your attention? So,
0: I knew many of them, or I at least heard them and sort of suspected a, a nautical origin, but do you guys not know the uh, the origin of the slush fund?
1: I had not. I think I want you to tell me this story because I'm still sort of vague. Yeah. I didn't research this so, one. So,
0: a slush fund, so there's a a ship, right? It goes out to sea, and they have this horrible hard salted meat. Um, you know, basically proto beef jerky, I guess. Um it, right. You know, yeah, you gotta, gotta, have have, gotta have some protein, otherwise I mean, yeah, it goes they, they kept pigs and chickens, but after you ran out. And the cook aboard the ship would boil this disgusting salted meat, right, to soften it up and uh, so people didn't break their rotting molars and and um, on top of this <laughs> boiling cauldron of salted hard hard meat. The fat would separate and form this layer of, of scum and the, the cook would ladle off and and put it in a bucket or, or a barrel or something. And and and, and this. Oh, and so now you have I'm this surprised. barrel of fat. And, yeah, you know, there's there's shipboard uses for this. You can you know, use it to waterproof ropes and, and uh, other things aboard a ship, but you, you don't need this much. <laughs> and so the ship's cook got to sell this off, you know, for other commercial uses when the ship came in. You know, here's a barrel of fat. And got to keep the proceeds as part of the um, benefits of being a ship's cook. And, and that was his, and he could spend it on what he wanted. And that was the, the slush fund. Oh. Yeah, okay. And the slush? The, oh, I'm sorry. And, and the slush was that, that fatty, you know, scum layer that, that developed on top of the <laughs> boiling cauldron yeah. of salted meat that uh, nobody apparently felt um, hungry enough to eat.
1: But very useful.
2: So slushing around.
1: It would, it would definitely be yeah. slushy. Yeah.
2: No, but like, uh, there's always a tampon slushing around in my purse.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's I think, sh- I think a more likely were to be sloshing. Yeah, like uh, slushing around. Like,
0: uh, uh, so slush. I think of it more, you know, sort of that semi fro You know, the snow has like gotten dirty and started to melt. It's this wet, yeah. gross slush. No, yeah. The other one I was getting. And, and that is, I think, part of the um of a similar consistency too. Salty fat layer on top of the uh, the cook's cauldron. Right. Yeah, I wouldn't say
1: that somebody was slushing unless they were moving through slush. Then I guess I could say that they were slushing. I would definitely say that they were sloshing around. I probably I've never slush. heard anybody say that they were slushing around. I know those two words seem really similar, but I haven't heard them interchanged like that.
2: But what about the the tampon in my purse? What would you say about That's that? Sloshing
1: line? around. Sloshing. Okay. I'd say it's sloshing around.
2: Okay, finally, English cares about vowels. Um,
1: <laughs> I know it never does before. Why start now?
2: But regardless, thank you, Chase. So slush fund, regardless of the origins of slush, slush fund is a little bit of extra money that the chefs, the, the, the ship's cook could spend on whatever they wanted. From, from and it's later being used then, to like-
0: And then, you know, yeah. it becomes associated with some, you know, generally, I would say corrupt connotations today.
2: right because i was i was listening to the because it's the world cup going on right Mm. now the men's Mm -hmm. world cup where nations compete in uh football uh also called soccer and Mm -hmm. i've been listening to a podcast about corruption Mm, in fifa and they talk a lot about slush money so how
0: how on earth could uh tell me that there was no corruption involved in a tiny middle eastern country you know with no history or infrastructure getting the world cup what
1: Don't yeah. have heroes, kids.
2: And with uh, with a bunch of Swiss businessmen, because Swiss businessmen, I are famous for doing everything fully yes, transparently. Yes.
1: <laughs> what what the hell happened there? All the forms
0: yeah, yeah, filed no, with the relevant tax authorities have no, have no fear.
2: But they talk a lot about slush mm. money. Okay. Right, and the term they use in um, Swiss German, I think, I, I just remembered, I don't know if this the exact but it's like smote, it's like similar to the Swedish one, which means like greasing agent.
1: Oh, and we talk about greasing people's palms, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: mm-hmm. Which, they're probably unrelated because of this fat stuff, but like, it's like, yeah, you grease the wheels.
1: Definitely convergent. Yeah. 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 Interesting. <laughs> I was interested in skyscraper. Yeah, so I
0: personally had no idea that that was a a nautical origin, but if you think about it, a a sailing ship was pretty much the the tallest thing around. I mean, you know, maybe there was a church or a cathedral that was was taller, but the mass would be quite literally scraping the sky, and that would be the tallest thing that probably the average person ever saw or went on top of, unless they were from a particularly big city. And so skyscraper, right?
1: (laughs) Yep. Yep, exactly. Turns out a skyscraper has also meant different things like a very tall hat or bonnet, a very tall person, he's a real skyscraper, a very tall horse, or a very tall tail. And finally it's settled on, I think the dominant meaning now is a very tall building, but the tallest sail appears from 1791. Uh, One more. Hedvig. you've got the list now. Anything you see that takes your fancy?
2: Well, since I'm on a show here with Americans, <laughs> and there's a lot of American politics now in the news, maybe we should do filibuster.
1: Okay, that was a fun one. That that's also in my sneakily nautical right, so, list. So yeah, I mean,
0: obviously a filibuster, a, a means of uh, obstructing legislation with the minority party. But um, w- what is the nautical origin of that? Because that that is actually, I think, one of the ones I found the most surprising.
1: I would have said that this was the name of a senator who engaged in the tactic of filibustering, yeah. but like it's, it's really Exactly. It sounds like it, but it's not. It was a, a flea Booter, a pirate, probably from Dutch vreebooter, a freebooter. And the reason you're a freebooter is because you take the booty for free.
0: Okay. <laughs> the booty, yeah.
1: The booty. They, mm-hmm. We're, we're mm-hmm. back to booty again. We haven't even talked about the other sense of booty, but that's for a different show. So okay. if you are a senator and you want to shut down debate on a topic and just obstruct, it's because you're, you're pirating people's time or you're overthrowing the, the way that things normally go.
2: But how do you get from free to Philly?
1: Well, R and L are both approximants. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh my God. And then you flip them around.
1: Yes, metathesis is a very common process.
2: And add another vowel.
1: And buster. add, add the, From booter to buster. It probably went through a wow. lot of different languages because there's, this shows up in a lot of places. But yeah, the sounds bounce around a lot. So we got vri booter and then finds its way into filibuster. Hmm.
2: So is it safe to say that the metaphor in English for the, what you do in the politics is that you're pirating other people's time? Yes. I believe that is the and, and there sense. are
0: certainly you know whoever is currently in the majority would would say that you are pirating the people's will as well. Although of course whose will you are pirating depends on who is in power, of course.
2: <laughs> right. So, so, but the other languages that have something like freebooter, etc., that just means a kind of pirate, and then mm. that word for pirate in English happened to verge off to sucking other people's time and energy, like a emotional vampire or something.
1: An emotional, a a senatorial pirate.
2: Oh, okay. I really thought it was like Latin.
1: I think that if you're going to filibuster and you're a senator, you have to do two things. Number one, you have to actually talk. You have to actually talk, not just threaten a filibuster. Mm -hmm. And then number two, you have to wear the hat. And an eye patch. Yep. And an eye patch. And you
2: have to vaguely talk on topic as well, right?
1: (laughs) Well, not anymore because now you just have to threaten a filibuster and that's enough to make it happen.
2: But you can't be like, today I had a cup of coffee. Oh, oh no. You
1: most
0: most
2: certainly can.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. uh, Gumbo recipes have been read from the Senate floor as part of a filibuster.
0: You know, the Constitution again and again and again and again and again. And, you know, how many times we need to hear the uh, income tax amendment or something like that.
1: (laughs) Yep. I do not yield my time. <laughs> Let's just finish up. We got a few minutes left. Let's just talk about the expressions that everyone thinks are nautical, but just simply are not. Okay. And I'm thinking of I'm thinking of cold enough to freeze the balls <laughs> off a brass monkey. First time I ever heard that. What's this? It's cold enough to freeze the balls off a brass monkey. What's the story here, Chase? What uh, have you heard? So have I, have you heard this- he-
0: I have heard this phrase, but I have not heard it enough to actually ascribe a meaning to it beyond a laugh Um, so (laughs) doing a little bit of research before the show right I I, you know (laughs) because because I was curious you know I spoke spoke to my curiosity has something to do with, with cannonballs
1: so the story is that they would arrange cannonballs in a pyramid on a tray aboard the ship and the tray was called a brass monkey and supposedly when it would get cold the tray would contract and the cannonballs would spill out. Nothing mm-hmm. like that was ever used to store cannonballs. Just didn't so happen.
0: was Monkey from like the Powder Monkey or, or what?
2: <laughs> was Powder Monkey. Oh, the Powder
0: Monkey. Oh. So so that was in the Age of Sail, right? So, the, so they have the gun decks, right? Where the cannons are. And they kept the gunpowder far away yep. from there so there's not chain explosions and you don't lose the ship and that's, you know, kept in a very isolated, packed away, you know, sort of surrounded by sand room. And it was only brought yes. out in small increments. And they had these young Uh boys, often 10, 11, 12 years old, they would Uh eat powder monkeys and they would go get in small increments gunpowder and bring Uh it to the individual gun crews uh, so Uh they then could, you know, a couple rounds worth or however many. And those are the powder monkeys.
2: So they're Mm. similar to like ball boys in cricket and baseball. Or 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 tennis,
0: yeah. Oh
1: yeah, yeah, in tennis, yeah. There may have also been a cannon called a brass Mm. monkey. Uh, just to to bring that in. But no, the original expression from the 1840s was uh, cold enough to freeze the nose off a brass monkey. By the 1850s, we see freeze the tail off a brass monkey. 1880s, we see the ears off a brass monkey. In 1920s, we see the whiskers off a brass monkey finally settling in the 1960s on cold enough to freeze the balls off a brass monkey. Michael Quinion of Worldwide Words thinks that it's about the three wise monkeys who, uh, you know, they cover their eyes, they cover their Mm -hmm. ears.
2: Okay. And there were brass figurines of these monkeys around?
1: That's right. and Europe, and people
2: were like, oh, if it's cold enough that one of their parts fall off, then it must be really cold.
1: That's the thing. And sometimes you do see four brass monkeys instead of just the three, and you can guess what the fourth monkey is covering (laughs) up. Okay, thank you very much.
2: Um, Okay. I have two cats that are running around, So, and I see that uh, we have let the cat out of the bag on this list, and I'm going to see yep. if I can, well, they're chasing each other. Do you want to come and say hi? Oh, your tail is all bushy because you're all excited because you're being chased. Here is Sandy, here. and uh, hi, he Shandy. loves being in bags. Okay. If I have a cloth bag and I open it, he will just go inside.
1: Goodness gracious.
2: I have this on video. He loves being in bags. He loves bags much more than boxes. So what's the, what's the story We Let the Cat Out of the Bag? Please? So
0: letting the cat out of the bag, right? Letting the, the secret go. And I believe that it, it comes from the cat o' nine tails, which was the, the traditional nine-tailed filleting whip that would be used to lash the sailors for what we would today consider relatively trivial misdemeanors but uh punishment used to be harsh aboard royal navy vessels probably other navies as well and it was kept in a you know a bag right and
1: was it though was it uh, really
0: (laughs) perhaps it was kept at the the bosun's waist (laughs) you know depending on on the nature of the ship um (laughs) and the phrase coming from there um you know sailor who had done whatever was wrong would would let the cat out of the bag outcomes cat of nine tails and, and people would be lashed mercilessly and that was not eliminated until uh, the years escaped me but but shockingly late you know the the lash is still liberally applied in the royal navy and in fact it was it was never I don't want to say never but it was nowhere near as extensively done in the United States naval tradition and you know conditions were generally better aboard US Navy ships which is a contributing factor towards a lot of British sailors trying to get aboard said British ships causing shortfalls during the De- of manpower during the Napoleonic War and thus the British trying to steal them back and instigating the War of 1812.
1: Hmm. So that's the story. Now, I was looking for instances of let the cat out of the bag and it seems like, and this is one of the things, if you see it and it's talking about ships, then that's cool. But if it's not talking about ships, then you kind of go, mm. and the earliest instances that we have, have nothing to do with punishment they are seriously talking about letting a literal cat out of a literal bag which means that some bad thing is going to happen some kind of incident is going to happen because you got an angry cat that's hissing and spitting and so this one doesn't seem to have anything to do with the cat of nine tails that would be a a fanciful Mm -hmm. naval ascription the other one is enough room to swing a cat which, you know, you got to ask, are we talking about a room that's big enough to grab an actual cat by the tail and swing it around, or are we talking about swinging a cat of nine tails? seems that the cat of nine tails has only been attested in print from 1695, whereas the enough room to swing a cat is quite a bit earlier, 1665. 30 years may not be enough to really establish that, but it looks like the swinging a cat expression, as in a literal cat, comes... Before the cat of nine tails, and I think that is a fanciful ascription as well. What do you think? Does that sound about right? Sounds fine to me.
2: Please do not ever do any of these things. (laughs) Not not to your cat. (laughs) Don't trap a cat. Well, if you need to take him to the vet, we needed to take our cat to the vet. We needed to trap him, but uh, generally, don't.
1: Don't lash people either, you know.
2: I have to say that. Daniel's use of quite a bit earlier, and it was 30 years.
1: I know, I know. You're quite right. You're right. It's, I
2: am older than I did, 30. I,
1: I did say, didn't I? I said, that's pretty tight. It's pretty tight. But pretty as tight. far as we know. So, so I, have, I have one more. It's not on the run sheet. And I,
0: I, I heard this, this fake naval origin of a phrase. And I saw it at a nautical oh. museum. And I couldn't remember which one. So I called around to a bunch of nautical museums. And they still have it up. And I told them they are wrong. And and uh, oh. so that they could you know take it down right. Um, have, have yeah, I've gone to a lot sure. of them, and it is, and I'll it totally is uh, a son of a gun. So do you have you guys heard that? And could you guess oh. a naval origin, a fake naval origin? Mind you,
1: I did research this mm-hmm. one, Hedvig. What 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 do you think?
2: I have no idea, but I'm gonna guess that it's like the person manning the cannon, Daniel? or or yeah.
1: Okay, so I've heard two stories, but which one? Which one do you want to talk uh, about? Chase? I, I want to
0: hear your guess, and then I'll, and then I'll tell you what I saw at the museum, and then, um, which is quite you know, go, just go ahead.
1: <laughs> well, I was going to say a hired gun is a sailor, or a, yeah, and then they would say that a sailor who has lots of sailors go around to lots of places, and so they would have lots of children who were conceived out of wedlock, and if you were such a person, uh, then you could be considered. A son of a gun—that is to say, a, a, a hired gun or somebody who operates guns on a ship. So, like so
0: that. that's close to what what was in this museum, and it was okay. purportedly ascribed to a uh, you know the lowest of the low, meaning you know the the Royal Navy ship. It, it goes to a port in some foreign land, huh? and they don't let their enlisted sailors off because they're all probably dragoon there and and not there willingly, and they wouldn't come back. And so the officers go off, and meanwhile the, yep. the enlisted sailors are kept aboard. And the local prostitutes seeking a uh, spying a business opportunity row out or, you know, get transported out. And on the gun deck, which is, you know, sort of one deck below the, the deck exposed to the weather, right? They would erect sheets effectively and, and you know, to create a seedy motel of sorts. And these prostitutes would, uh, you know, cavort with the enlisted sailors who who could not go ashore because they would not come back. And if you were the son of a gun, you were the child of a prostitute that visited the enlisted sailors and therefore the lowest of the lowest of the low, and a son of a gun.
1: That's a great story.
2: And you're that's not it correct. Is not.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the other story that's also incorrect is that the pregnant women who happened to find themselves aboard naval vessels would give birth in the space between the guns so that you could keep the decks clear. You could clear the decks. And uh, also equally spurious. Fun story, but maybe a little too fun. So what's the real story, Chase? Uh, the
0: real story is just a phrase that came up and, it, you know, a, a minced phrase essentially and much less colorful, just a, but a solidly no naval origin. And there was not any until well over a hundred years after the phrase first came about. And then there were some folk etymologies, I guess, that uh, tried to ascribe a, a fun naval origin. So I was very disappointed. Yep.
2: <laughs> But the one that Daniel said first sounds like it could still be true, because hired guns are—it's not just a naval phenomena, right? A hired gun is any hired mercenary, regardless if they're on water or not.
1: Possibly, but once again, if I guess, I guess that the key here is you look at the first instance. Does it have anything to do with those things, or does it have any sort of quotes like, "as the military men say, a son of a gun"? And we just—we just don't see that. We we only see people making up these stories a hundred years after the phrase comes up. And I think the most likely answer is, you know, you don't want to call somebody a son of a bitch. So we well, we like rhymes. We like things that rhyme. If it rhymes, it must be true. Drunk as a skunk, even though skunks don't have any observable tendency toward inebriation. Loose as a goose. I guess geese are kind of loose. Snug as a bug in a rug, right? We just love those expressions. And son of a gun is one of those. You say it and everyone knows what you mean. Yeah.
2: So it's for son of a bitch.
1: Yep. That's the one. Okay. All right. Huh. So ah. what have we learned? We have learned the danger of attractive etymologies. Mm. We have learned
0: the uh, the origins of several actually naval phrases, that many of which I, I did not suspect.
1: Yeah, I learned that lots of expressions that we use are sneakily nautical. And we didn't get to this one, but I want to do it ahead. Saying that something is ahead. That's because it's at the head of the ship. It's not astern. It's ahead. It's at the front. And that is originally nautical. Fascinating stuff. There's a lot of these. But I think that maybe because we only scratched the surface, not of nautical <laughs> expression. I think we need to come back and do some more one of these days, I Chase. Am, what do you uh, say?
0: Certainly down for that, I would not want to leave you. High and dry, um, or uh, <laughs> and you could consider this just a, a shot across the bow of, of future nautical collaborations. <laughs> and if you you truly felt the need, you could press gang me into another one. If I'm not giving you too wide a berth, and then we could uh, chew yeah. the fat again together. Yeah.
2: Oh my god, they were doing this, the listeners. Are you they were doing this before Wait, really? we started recording as well. I apologize. Oh my
1: gosh. Well, that's all right. We're, we're keeping ourselves aloof from all of these metaphors. Oh, my
2: God. Chase, are you also a father? <laughs> no, I am not. Is this is a dad thing. <laughs> Although, you know, okay. I'm
0: preemptively, you know, developing uh, a repertoire of dad jokes and and, um, and whatnot.
2: <laughs> okay. All right. Well, it is you're Americans and it is a Thanksgiving season. So I guess that's sort of the cultural part of it, that you have to make dad jokes. Anyway, thank you very much for being on the show, Chase. I think we're wrapping up.
1: I feel like if we'd like to say big thanks to our guest for this episode, Chase Dalton from the U.S. Naval History Podcast. Chase, how can people find your show? Uh, so or they you-
0: find me or the show uh, primarily go on any podcasting platform. U.S. Naval History Podcast got a big picture of a battleship shooting, and both Twitter and Instagram at U.S. Navy Podcast. And to anyone listening on, on my feed, if you have enjoyed this, I have uh, immensely enjoyed listening to episodes of because language, and I have, A, learned a lot, and, and B, been thoroughly entertained. So by all means, uh, you know, go over there and subscribe to their feed as well, please.
1: Fantastic. Uh, thanks also to everybody who gave us ideas for the show. Thanks to Dustin of Sandman Stories, who recommends us to everyone. Thanks to the team at Speech Docs who transcribes this episode and every other, and most of all, our patrons who give us so much support make it possible to keep the show going. If you like the show, there are different things that you can do to help us along. You can send us ideas and feedback like all of the lovely people who sent us ideas and feedback for this show. There are lots of ways to do that. You can follow us on the socials. We're BecauseLangPod everywhere, except Spotify. Remember when everyone was dumping Spotify? That was fun. lasted about four months. You can leave us a message with SpeakPipe. That's Mm -hmm. on our website, BecauseLanguage.com. You can send us an email, hello, at BecauseLanguage.com or you can tell a friend about us or even leave us a review in all the places where you can leave reviews. There are many such places. Hedvig, your current favorite?
2: Uh, uh, the pod, uh, pod chaser. Pod chaser? Pod chaser. That's it, that's the one. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not um. iTunes.
1: <laughs> it's not iTunes. It's not Apple. It's not Google. It's so something else. So if you're else. not
2: using like iTunes to listen to podcasts and you want to review, you can review most podcast apps, including Podcast review, Addict and, and uh, Pocket Cast, and all of them have their own review systems. We love them all. Podcast is this interesting sp- space, right? Like Chase, uh, like it's just an RSS feed, mm-hmm. and it's this like highly distributed thing. Um, but PodChaser is the place where a lot of people leave reviews. That is in iTunes, so I recommend. But a, a big thing that
0: people can do, and, and I have seen drive you know spikes in traffic, is someone can go on Reddit and find the appropriate subreddit mm. or something like that, or you know whatever their their as you know social media platform of choices, and be like, I really enjoyed this. I learned you know this this, and you know sort of a, a personalized review to people that are in there in community, and um, you know that's yeah, you know, it's always a nice warm and fuzzy when someone appreciates you.
2: And and uh, those uh, reviews are often very good because they're specific. It's like I know this forum community and I know this and this podcast is good because of these reasons instead of like I really like this podcast. Yep, yep. That's yeah, very broad. And if you're listening to this episode when it comes out, it means that you are a supporter on Patreon. We are very grateful for that. And you enable us to do things like make these bonus episodes. Uh, we also maintain a Discord channel where uh, we, you can hang out with us. And you make it possible for us to make transcripts so that we can search and uh, search our podcast feed from the back where, like, when was they they talking about the balls
1: of bass monkeys? <laughs>
2: you can find that now. And
1: How, how many, uh, many episodes?
2: <laughs> yeah. And I'm gonna give a special shout out to our top patrons. Okay, I don't think I'm gonna do it in one breath. I'm not <laughs> even gonna try. It used to be possible to do it in one breath, it is no longer. You, you,
0: you can, can scrap over to me if you would like. Yep. I don't know. Is, is, uh, that, is that not a school thing? Um, <laughs> what, popcorn reading?
2: what? What word did you Pop, say? Oh, popcorn.
0: So, so, oh, oh, new oh, idiom. Oh, goodness. Um, so, <laughs> no, no, no. This is uh, just in school when you're reading. A text out loud for you know his, any class you would read a, a sentence or two and then you would say popcorn chase or popcorn and and the next person oh. you know everyone has to be oh. following along you know in the book because you have to finally, oh. you know, seamlessly take over and if you, know, you didn't then you got you know sort of
2: <laughs> oh. you, you, you broke the game
0: oh let's try it
2: okay let's, let's try it. it okay
1: okay go ahead Have you start
2: okay i'm gonna start Istin, Termi, Elias, Matt, Whitney, Helen, Udo, Jack, Popcorn, Chase.
0: Pharaoh Cat, Lord Morris, Grammar Yen, Larry, Christopher, Andy, James, Nigel, Meredith, Kate, Nazrin, Aisha, Mo, Steele, Manu, Roger, Rian, Colin, Ignacio, Sonic, Snedgehog?
1: <laughs> yeah. Popcorn Daniel. Yeah. Kevin, Jeff, Andy from Logophilius, Stan, Kathy, Rosh, Popcorn, Hedvig.
2: Cheyenne, Felicity S, Amir, Kenny, Archer, O-Tim, Alyssa, Chris W, and Felicity G. And our lovely Kate B, who over one year ago now, pressed the one-time donation button on our website and gave us a a hefty sum of money. And we are uh, very grateful for that. Still, we will continue thanking her for a long time to come. And we would want to give a special shout out to our newest patrons. At the listener level, we have Brian Q, Thu, and AJ, and also Justine and Eleanor, uh, who just bumped up to the listener level. Thanks to all of our amazing patrons.
0: And finally, the theme music for this podcast was written and performed by Drew Kraplyanov, who's a member of Ryan Benno and of Digian's Bible. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time. Because oh, language. Be- oh, because right. language. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry. Oh, oh, You're, man. Doing uh, okay, okay. You're doing great. You're doing great. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you <laughs> next time. Because language. There we go. Ooh. Yay. Yay. <laughs> thanks, Chase. Good
1: job. <laughs> You're a great co-host. I really like yes, your you show. Well. And even though it's like totally out of my wheelhouse. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh my God. Hang on. I'm just sending the run sheet to... Head back. Uh,
2: the, the reason Daniel is do, doing this chase is because he thinks that I am not sticking mm, to it. Mm.
1: No, that's not why. It's so that you can read the reads.
2: <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs>